Luke chapter 21, and we'll begin in verse 5. Then as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. The time is drawn near. Therefore, don't go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. For these things must come to pass first. But the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines and pestilences. There will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before these things, they will lay their hands upon you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for thy name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts, not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. I will give you a mouth and wisdom for which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict nor resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. They will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, possess your souls. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days. There will be great distress in the land, wrath upon this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. Jerusalem shall be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Then there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming upon the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. And he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. And you also, when you see those things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation shall by no means pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will by no means pass away. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life that that day come upon you unexpectedly. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the words of Jesus about things that are happening, things that are to come. And we ask, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we would put it into a biblical perspective. And Father, that this passage of Scripture would work a work in our lives to make us the people we ought to be in the times in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You look through the Gospels, and the disciples asked Jesus a lot of questions. After all, if I had Jesus standing right here, I'd be asking him a lot of questions. Now, last week, you remember, they asked him the questions about the blind man. And the question they asked, whose fault is it? Who sinned? Why'd this happen? And Jesus, of course, not only gives them the answer, but he heals the blind man. That raises up even more questions. And now they're asking him these questions. The questions they ask is, when's all this going to happen? How are we going to know that it's coming up? I want us to look at the statement that started it all, first of all. The statement that started it all is in verse 6. When these things you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus had just told the disciples about a very important economic lesson about giving sacrificially. Somehow, when he began to talk about giving sacrificially, they looked around, they saw the temple, and they began to divert the conversation to the fact that the temple, of course, was lavishly adorned. It was startling that Jesus would say, look at all these things, there will not be a stone left upon one another. You see, the temple, of course, was built in the time of Solomon, and then it was destroyed about 70, 700 AD, 7, of BC, 700 to 600, it was destroyed by the Babylonians. At about 500 to 400, it had been rebuilt. Then, right about the time of Jesus, about a few decades before, Herod decides to expand it. And he expanded the temple and, of course, made it over and above lavish and luxurious. Josephus the Jewish historian, describes the temple in that some of the stones that were used in the construction of this temple were seven feet by nine feet by 67 feet long. Now, some people might say that he had a tendency to exaggerate. However, I saw some of these stones that were left in the lower course of the western wall They call it the Wailing Wall. Look it up sometime and you'll see some pictures of it. Some of the smaller stones are in this wall. They are bigger than a truck. They're huge. I've seen the stones that they use in some of the ancient structures. And they are indeed this big. Josephus also tells of marble columns, 40 feet tall, made out of a single slab of marble, 40 foot tall marble slab. Now when you get to looking at this much weight, at this big of a stone, there's nothing that seemed to be sturdier and more solid, more dependable that will always be here. This is so permanent. Who could ever move these kind of stones? Jesus said, look around. The things you see, they'll be all torn down. Not only were the stones impressive because of their size, but the fronts of the temple and many of the ornaments were gold-plated with heavy gold. There were 
vines of grapes and lampstands and candelabras and all these things, solid gold. It is said when the sun came up in the morning and hit that wall that faced the east, it looked like the entire world was aflame. And then as it came up and began to shine on the white stone, people from a long way from Jerusalem, it looked like the Temple Mount had snow on it. It was so white. It was so brilliant. It was so beautifully. To the Jewish people, it was unthinkable that this could ever be destroyed and moved because how could this ever move all these stones? But Jesus predicted that it would happen. In verse 20 and 24, he said, When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that its desolation is near. And then he goes with all of the warnings about those who are living in Jerusalem. If you'll back up to chapter 19, verse 41, he drew near to the city. As he drew near to the city, he looked over the city from the mount that he was on. It says he wept over it and said, If you had known, even you especially in this your day, the days that make for your peace, now they are hidden from your eyes. The days will come when you and your enemies, when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground, they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the start statement that started it all. Startling. So they had to ask the question, when's this going to happen? And how will we know it's about to happen? And then Jesus made a whole list of predictions. Now, if we think the disciples had questions then, now we have questions, right? People who read through this passage of scripture and the companion passages in Mark and in Matthew, this raises a lot of questions. And people ask me questions. People ask other pastors questions. People ask each other questions about the end of times. We'll have to look at the fact that some of these events have already come to pass that Jesus predicted. Jesus predicted that Jerusalem would be surrounded by enemies. That happened. That happened in 70 A.D. As it turns out, the Romans, of course, were on a campaign to dominate the entire world and nobody would stand against the Roman machine. However, the Jews in Palestine decided they would try to stand. And in 70 A.D., he besieged Jerusalem. The Romans besieged Jerusalem and hunger was so great that they resorted to cannibalism. They built an embankment around there, and that's a military term, which we call a siege ramp, where they would just actually build a ramp up against your wall and just go over the top of it. In order to get to the gold that was plating the temple, they dismantled it stone by stone. And Jerusalem, with all of its gold-plated majesty, was reduced to rubble. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said over a million Jews were killed and 97,000 taken away to Roman captivity. The Jewish nation was erased from human history. Now, the Hebrews still existed. They were scattered all over the whole world. And everywhere they went, of course, we know they were persecuted. The Hebrews still existed. 
but the Jewish nation politically ceased to exist until 1948. But for those years, there was no Hebrew nation. Something else that came to pass, believers are brought before rulers. He said, before all these things, they will lay their hands upon you and persecute you, delivering you up to synagogues and prisons. Now, we look at this as maybe something that's going to happen in the future. It's not going to happen in the future. It has happened from the early days of the church. And those that were within earshot of Jesus were indeed brought before synagogues first because that's where they preached. They were delivered to prisons. You read through the book of Acts, you see the history of that. That has already come to pass. The root believers were brought before root, and that wasn't the last time, was it? It has happened in every culture and in every generation. This has been brought to pass where believers were brought before rulers. And he said, this will turn out for an occasion to testimony. You remember the apostle Paul arrested, taken to Rome? And two or three times, I know one time in specific, a Roman leader that was an underling wanted to set Paul free. And he said, man... If only he hadn't appealed to Caesar, I'd be setting him free. So everybody's thinking, what a tragedy. He missed freedom by that much. But you see, it turned into an occasion for witness to the Roman household of Caesar. Now, a missionary couldn't get his way in there with his business card. I'm a missionary. I want to tell your people about Jesus. Paul got in there and his ticket with the chains. But a lot of people in Caesar's household came to know Christ because his persecution turned into an occasion of testimony. Those things have come to pass. And some things are taking place now and will come to pass in the future. We go down the list of them. In verse 8, Take heed to yourselves that you be not deceived, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near. Don't go after them. False prophets and cults. World's full of them. You see, there are false prophets even the days before Jesus, the days since Jesus. False prophets came on. The apostle Paul warned against them. Peter warned against them. John warned against them. In all of their letters, there would be those who would be false prophets and cults. In verse 9, when you hear of wars and commotions, don't be terrified. Wars. We hear about war all the time. North Korea, Iran, Syria, Russia, China, all in the news. You would think that Jesus was reading the headlines and watching the news channel. When you hear of wars and get this, Commotions. Now, what's a commotion? <clears throat> disturbances. Now, don't we have disturbances going on in our country today? Hmm. We have some disturbances going on over statues, over flags. 
We have disturbances going on over statements that are made. We have disturbances that are going on about police actions. We have disturbances that are going on about disturbances. We have commotion all in our country and disturbances. And you'll hear about disturbances and commotions. Verse 11, there will be great earthquakes in various places. Mexico, two big earthquakes in two weeks. Just about in the same amount of time, there was another minor earthquake up in California. And then another one off the coast of Japan, all in the, in the case of about a couple or three weeks. And then we have this, earthquakes and famines and pestilences. You know what a pestilence is? A disease. A disease. AIDS, Ebola, the Zika virus. All of these things we hear about in the news today. In verse 25, there'll be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. Those things may be kind of hard to catch, but catch this. And in the earth, the stress of nations with confusion and the sea and the waves roaring. How many hurricanes in the last two months? The sea and the waves roaring. And then look at verse 17. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Christians will become the villains. Well, we're not called Christians anymore. We're called haters. Because we dare to stand up against ungodly lifestyles. We're called judgmental. We're called narrow-minded. We're called intolerant. Why? Because we dare to have morals. Just because I disagree biblically with a lifestyle does not make me hate anyone. But what's happening? The tables are turned. Who's the villain? Christians are the villains. You'll be hated. This started way back then with Nero. He hated Christians. He hated them. And all through history, you'll be hated by all men. And now in the world today, the number one ethnic group that faces persecution in the world, Christians. More than any other ethnic group, Christians face persecution. All of these things are coming to pass right now. And then, of course, thirdly, some are yet to come. Now, what, which are the ones that are yet to come? The ones we hadn't already covered. The, the distress in the sun and the moon and the stars and all the other things that are just total catastrophic things those are yet to come. So Jesus gave us some statements, and we're a lot like the disciples. Now that he said this, and we're saying, well, what do we do about this? What do we do about it? Well, let me tell you what not to do. Pointless speculation about times and dates. What not to do. Jesus said himself in verse 26, Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation about those things that are coming. In other words, people just dwelling on it to the point where they're fearful all the time. So we understand that a lot of times we have pointless speculation about the things that are coming and who's the Antichrist and, and what's the number of 666 means. All these things we don't need to speculate on because we have enough to do. And here's what we do about all these things that are coming. Number one, the outlined in the scripture. 
Verse 8 says, take heed that you be not deceived. Pay attention. Don't be deceived. There's our first piece of information. Now, how are we going to keep from being deceived? The only way for me to recognize a lie is to know the truth. And the only way I'm going to know the truth is to have some knowledge of this. And all of us have access to this. And the only way that we can face that uncertain future and not be deceived is for us to pay attention to what the Bible says about things. Not culture, not celebrities, what the Bible says about things. And how are we going to know that? Well, here's a start. You're in church on Sunday morning. Because what do we do on Sunday morning? We say, here's what the Bible says about these things. So this is a good start. Don't be deceived. And the only way that's going to happen is to know the truth. Secondly, don't be terrified. When you hear of wars and commotions, don't be terrified. It looks like the entire country is going out of control, doesn't it? Well, let me tell you this. God's still in control of us. God's still in control of us, and we belong to God. Verse 14. Let's look in verse 13. It will turn out to you, turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. Now, this word meditate, Greek scholar Archibald Robertson said, this word meditate does not mean just to think about it. The word there is worry. Don't worry about it. Now, let me say this. It says, don't meditate on hand what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom with which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Don't worry about it. I will give you a message. Now, let me hasten to say this. This is not a method for sermon or lesson preparation, y'all. I'm just going to walk up to the pulpit and open my mouth and God will give me something to say. No. God intends for us to study. And I, you know that not only that's where I come from, but Brother Jeremy, when he walks up, it's obvious he's done his studying. And somebody might say, well, doesn't that rule out the Holy Spirit? Excuse me? You're saying the Holy Spirit can only work right here and he can't work when I've got my pencil in my hand? Yes, we should study for our sermons. We should study for our lessons. But let me tell you, when you're put on the spot and you're brought before someone and someone asks you the question or someone puts you on the, on the hot seat, God's going to give us a message. Let me say this. God not only is going to give us a message... He's already given us the message. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't worry about what you're going to say. God's already given us the message. And it's called the gospel message, right? We have the message. We don't have to worry about what we're going to say. And we don't have to worry about how we're going to counter every argument. Because we don't know how it's going to come. What we're saying is this. I am going to be ready to answer every man to ask a reason for the hope that's within me. And God will help me give that answer. Don't worry. God's 
going to give us what we need when we're put on the spot. And then the fourth thing, remember who we belong to and let it show. This is found in one verse that I love to quote this. It's in several songs. In verse 28, now when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. When these things happen, look up and lift up your heads. What do we do? Look up. Now it starts here. It starts here. Because the only way we're going to face an uncertain future, whether it's the end of the world or the end of my life, the only way I will ever face an uncertain future is I have to look up because that's the only place my answer is. It is not in anything else the world has to offer. We have to look up to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and for salvation there's where it starts. And if I'm not looking up to start with, the outlook is going to look very bleak indeed. So it starts with the fact that we realize we're on the bottom. Sin has just erased any uh, measure of hope, and I'm going to look up. Didn't David say it this way in the 121st Psalm? I'll lift up my eyes. There's where my help comes from. Look up, pray, turn to God. Secondly, cheer up, cheer up. Look up and lift up your heads. Now, the word is mentioned there with the implication that these people were looking down. And he said, you look up and you lift up your head and you cheer up. You know, when you look through the Gospels, how many times did Jesus say, be of good cheer? How many times did Jesus say, fear not? And we all remember the passage of Scripture when he says, let not your heart be troubled. A key component of the message that Jesus has to those who will follow him is, cheer up. Lift up your head. So we look up and we cheer up. We straighten up. Now, this word look up, according to some Greek scholars, and you may have an English translation that says not only look up, but stand up straight. And I like the passages of Scripture that say straighten up. Straighten up in our outlook, straighten up in our confidence, stand up straight and confident, but also straighten up in our behavior. Now, that was a term that my mama used when me and my twin brother was getting into something we shouldn't get into. She would say, y'all straighten up. Well, we knew she didn't mean for us to stand up like this, and I wasn't about to do that. She meant stop what you're doing and start doing the right thing. Well, I think it's insignificant and when we have all these uncertain things and we're asking the question, what are we going to do? <clears throat> the original language says straighten up, straighten up. In fact, he gets pretty serious about it in verse 34. Take heed to yourselves. Pay attention to yourself. Lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. Carousing and drunkenness. Well, we all know exactly what that is. 
And if that's not a problem that you have, we're all prone to say amen to this passage of Scripture until that third one, cares of this life. Cares of this life all have to do with finances, jobs, relationships, getting all the way down. But let me say this. He says, straighten up in the way you live. Straighten up in the way you behave. In fact, Peter obviously heard this in the second uh, the letter of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. He says, seeing that all these things will happen, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? He talks about the earth being burned up with fervent heat. And he said, now that we've seen that all things are, ha- are going to happen, he didn't say, wonder when it's going to be. wonder who the Antichrist is going to be. I wonder what 666 means. He said, what manner of people should we be in the way we live? Straighten up. You see, the undeniable evidence that we've lost sight of the return of Christ is when we misbehave. So what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 4 to 1, he tells a parable about a man who went away to a far country. And he left a servant in charge of everything around his house. That servant said, he's not coming back anytime soon. And he begins to mistreat the people around him. And he begins to mistreat his body. Says he gets drunk. And he beats up on the, the men servants and the maid servants. He didn't know how to treat people. Hmm. How do we know he didn't expect his master to come back? Well, it's obvious by the way he lived. Now, at this particular point, I would think light bulbs should be going on in our head. Is it obvious to people that we really expect Jesus to come at any time? When it really means something to us and we really believe it'll make a difference in how we live and treat others. Man. There's a lot to think about when we look at all these political things and all these natural disasters. But isn't it simple when we say, well, what does this mean to me? It means this. You look up, we cheer up, and folks, let's straighten up. Now, there's nothing complicated about that. So where are you? I'm not talking about the unanswered questions. There will always be that. But the ones that Jesus just answered for us, where are we? Maybe you've never, ever been saved. You want to look up and get ready because even if the world doesn't end, before this week is over, I may end. It's so uncertain. We, we don't know when our last day is. So today's the best time to prepare. Have you looked up? Do you know Jesus Christ? Is there any other part of this passage of scripture that applies? You know. You know what we need to do as we prepare for the invitation on him and stand and sing what number? Number 109. Number 109. You come, would you?